the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Start of the new year. Not the best, not the worst. Take a look at the Santa Claus rally. It did indeed go up over 1%. Over that two days of the first new year, five days after Christmas. That's nice. Theme for today's um, market may be, are we stuck here? Are we stuck with not going back to school? I saw the Chicago Teachers Union said, you know what? We're going to do remote learning again. Interesting. Even as data continues to show that Omicron isn't crazy contagious. Oh, no, no, that it's crazy contagious, but that it's also not crazy deadly, except for people who haven't been vaccinated. It's still problematic. And that's why we're pulling some kids out of school. Because many tiny kids haven't been vaccinated. And I get it. As a parent, you worry about what you put in your kids' arms. At a very early age, our pediatrician said, you know, why don't you just space out your vaccines with the kids? Instead of doing four in one day, do them four over the year. Parents like to digest things very slowly. So there's a bad guy in the Batman comic books called Two-Face. And the markets feel very Two-Faced right now. The Dow, which is home to financials and industrials, climbed to a record while the NASDAQ, home to many tech companies, took a dive, 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 dive. Like a submarine in World War II. I don't know what to make of this. And I'm going to have to do a little bit better work on how so many people are quitting. The great resignation rolls on as a record 4.5 million Americans quit their jobs in November. That's equivalent to about 3% of the workforce. And again, and we've been saying this a lot in, in our lifetimes. I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. I think yesterday I talked about Apple going from 1 trillion to 2 trillion to 3 trillion and how fast 2 to 3 trillion took, but how long it took from zero to 1 trillion. And saying things like 25 years ago, I would never have predicted a $3 trillion company, let alone a $1 trillion company. Hmm. Japan sold 2.3 million vehicles in 2021. That's up 10% from the year before. GM sold 2.2 million, down 13%. So Japan's Toyota has dethroned GM as the number one automaker in the country. Making it the first time on record that a foreign car manufacturer just topped the list. Okay, I get that one. Toyota makes really, really well-priced, reliable automobiles. GM's trying to figure out, are we going to be electric? Are we not going to be electric? Uh, they're a little bit on the iffy, but you know what's interesting about that to me? And, and see if you're following where I'm going to try to go with this. If you believe in there's Republican parts of the country and Democrat parts of the country, I think we could all kind of agree there's some truth there, right? If you go to like an upstate Pennsylvania that has a lot of union jobs, 
and not a lot of high-tech jobs. You'll see most of the cars in the parking lot are American-made. Is this telling us anything that Toyota, the Japanese automaker, is this telling us something? Because I kind of get the feeling it is, but a little bit too soon. All automakers have had to navigate the nasty chip shortage during the pandemic, but Toyota managed to do it better than others. Even if GM recaptures the title next year, 2021's results still show that U.S. auto wins have forever shifted. The dominance of U.S. automakers on U.S. market soil is over. No car manufacturer suffered from a lack of demand in 2021, but they all had, not the all, Tesla and Toyota did a really nice job of the supply bottleneck. Average new vehicle prices surged 20% last month to a record $45,700. Yesterday, Ford had an exciting day, up 10%. Do you know how many times in my life Ford's been up 10%? Like if I had a four-fingered hand, I could probably count on a four-fingered hand. It's not many. There's not that many sexy, exciting days for Ford. But their F-150 Lightning pickup truck is selling like hotcakes. The company, which itself has leapfrogged uh, by GM in 1931 as the top U.S. automakers doubling production capacity due to huge demand. So they are saying, we are all in with electric vehicles. We're doubling capacity right here, right now. Which leads to an 11.7% pop yesterday. 2022 is going to be interesting because there's a lot of electric vehicle stories. And they're all competing for lithium. They're all competing for batteries. They're all competing for semiconductors. I get the feeling some of the high-flying electric vehicles are going to have more challenges in 2022 due to competition. But also, like I was alluding at, hinting at, um, there's a lithium shortage that's coming, and automakers may be unprepared. Lithium is the third metal on the periodic table, the lightest solid element on Earth. It's an essential material in the lithium-ion batteries used for electric vehicles and energy storage systems. There's plenty of lithium on the planet. It isn't exactly being extracted and refined quickly enough to keep up with the rapidly growing demand of, hey, Ford, we're going to double our F-150 electric vehicle truck sales. And I'll be honest with you. I'm going to look at Ford F-150 at some point. Because the idea that it has the ability to charge electric vehicles or keep your house powered pretty interesting. Now, how many times am I going to ever use that feature? That was a piece of advice that a car dealer once gave me. I'm like, what extra should I get? You know, he goes, most of the extras people buy, they never end up using. I'm like, really? Okay. Um, it was nice because it was one of those moments where an electric uh, car dealer told you, you don't really need the, the net. You don't really need the extra cargo space in the back. You don't really. And I was like, okay. So there's a structural shortage of lithium. There are some lithium ETFs. If you think this is going to be the decade of lithium, um, which I do think it's going to be a decade of lithium, I think it is a trend that we're going to really start understanding better in 2022. I think investors are starting to understand it. The last few years have been good for that. Will you get more out of your Netflix investment in the next five years or out of lithium? I'll tell you what, the next five years will be just as exciting for lithium as it is going to be for Stranger Things on Netflix. 
lithium ion battery powered EVs will dominate the world. And there's such a small price of it now. If you were to hold a gun to my head and say Tesla or a lithium ETF, I would seriously think lithium ETF. I'm not saying I'd pull it, but seriously think it. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. The stock market is something we'll be talking about today because we're early in the year and we're already starting to see a pretty obvious theme. Materials, energy, healthcare, and financials are outperforming. Big tech is underperforming. 2022 is supposed to be the year where ultimately the Fed has become more of an, uh, an enemy than a friend to stocks. A lot's going to depend on data, but we're off. You can find me online at Robux Show, Twitter, Robux Show, YouTube, Robux Show. Resources to help you manage your money. Visit robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening. A couple notes. The mortgage rates hit a nine-month high. And loan demand drops further. The average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage hit 3.33% last week. It's now about half a percentage higher than it was a year ago. I got a mortgage last year for under 2.5%, which is surreal. But now that they're starting to move up 50 basis points higher than last year, people who want to buy a home will find that that you're able to buy a little bit less. The difference between getting a 2.3% mortgage and a 3.3% mortgage, it's pretty exponential. But when you start creeping up to four, four and a half percent, that's when it becomes even more of a problem. I'm not predicting the crash of the housing market. That's not going to happen. I feel that there's far too few homes for sale. And there's still millennials who are forming households. And who should be a driver of future home ownership in the future? I do think there's a lot of questions with our workforce um, that we don't know what it's going to look like. Let's say Omicron kind of starts to fade. We peak in the next three weeks and we don't see another version of COVID for six months until the summertime. We'll, maybe we'll start to see where people actually end up because like Airbnb, if you look, in, look into some of their, their data, They're saying it's not just a vacation home anymore. Some people are saying, I want to work in Tahoe for a month. I'm going to pack up my little van and I'm going to go work in the Southern Sierras for a month. The question is like the whole three month summer vacations and the whole month, month of living in different areas because you can do remote work. Some people think we're going to move towards a four day work, work week sooner than later. So we have a, That would be a six-day work week, but you get the idea. Ivy Zellman called the top of the 2000s housing market and the start of the post-crisis recovery. Kind of want to talk a little bit about her. People are starting to think, you know, do I shift out of tech stocks? Do I go into value stocks? People are having beginning of the year questions. It's the perfect time to do it at the beginning of the year. How should you approach? What should your new strategy be? Should you have a new strategy? Or is it same old, same old? All Wall Street even thinks about 
is a recipe for long lasting rallies, which is contributing to its newfound interest in buying homes. One person disagreeing with the corporate world who are trying to buy homes so they can rent them is a lady named Ivy Zellman. If you can perfectly call real estate, you can be a legend. Zellman sits squarely in the second category of legend. In large part, because she's called the markets before correctly. Today, she says the seller's market is living on borrowed time. One reason is that people are underestimating the enormous amount of construction being planned. In November, Zellman estimated that national demand for single-family homes sat around 900,000 units a year, but 1.1 million units were being planned. That's a difference of about 20%. So she's saying that the home builders are a little bit less gun-shy. Institutional investors have already announced plans to spend $75 billion in build-trent homes. If that happens, it will only add to the construction already going on. So she's saying construction is coming. Construction is coming. Not the British, but the construction. She's the Paul Revere of the housing crash. Not crash. Correction. If we actually build all the production that's coming and the land grab that's at inflated prices we're seeing, we could have a pretty sizable correction because we don't think there's enough bodies to fill up all these incremental production units. So says Ivy Zellman. Roughly half of the new homes under construction today are being built on spec, meaning there is no buyer lined up. Adding that there was far more speculation today than there was before the COVID-19 pandemic. So home builders got really conservative after the 2006-2008 housing crisis. And they said, if you want us to build you a home, you have to put an order on it, a down payment. And now they're saying, we're just going to build and that we know someone's going to come and get it. The U.S. population is aging. This is another issue that she has, and older people are far less likely to move. Ultra-low mortgage rates have set off a refinancing boom that will push people to stay where they are. And fewer people are marrying and having children, which are one of the two most common reasons for buying a home. It's interesting, right? If I was a single man in my 30s and I was in love, I'd be, honey, we could live in a cardboard box on the beach and I'd still love you. But once you get kids involved, you're like, I need my own space. I need an office. I need a den. The kids need space. The demand for bigger housing comes along. And the lady of the home tends to go, I want to buy a home in a good school district. Which means... I always buy homes in good school districts because I know I always have some built-in buyers. So the U.S. population is aging. we become far less likely to move. Ultra-low mortgage rates have set off a refinancing boom that in a year, two years, three years from now, if rates are at 4%, you'll go, ah, I wish I never paid that off. Or I wish I got more mortgages. With all the trends eroding demand, she says investors in the housing market will cut back on their building plans and sell out to the market. Instead of saying, I'll take $3 million for the home, I'm happily going to take 2.7, just get it out. I want to move on. She says, we've seen this movie before. It's not a, a glut of subprime mortgages this time, though. 
She's not predicting anything as catastrophic as the housing market implosion 15 years ago, but she says markets with a lot of development plan, a lot of investment backed buying and high expectations are very vulnerable. The most at risk market she sees Phoenix, Atlanta, the Carolinas, Dallas, Houston, Austin. One of the most important things to monitor is the incentives the builders and sellers offer buyers. As the market gets weaker, the incentives get bigger. Cities that aren't keeping up with building include Cleveland, Milwaukee, Madison. They face less risk. Um, she said one market that I think is very interesting to many of us in the Bay Area is Boise. She says it's supposed to child and maybe a harbinger of things to come. We're hearing that things have really slowed down there and there's a significant increase in incentives and major price resistance. So pay attention to your home builders. And if they're offering a year of no payments, if they're offering like uh, improved blacktops or, you know, solar panels for free, it's a sign that they've got too much inventory and you can negotiate on price. So that's Ivy Zellman. If you want to look her up, her last name is Z-E-L-M-A-N. Samsung has announced something that's kind of interesting at CES. Samsung's 2022 TVs will feature support for trading NFTs, which kind of are perfect on a television. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Honest, straightforward, and right to the point. The Rob Black Show. Questions about how to invest in your retirement? Check out robblackshow.com and get in on the conversation. Subscribe to the podcast and video channels. No one cares more about your money than you do. It's time to start to feel good about your financial future. Robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. Excited to start my year off with Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. Start my day every day. As soon as it's published, I run over to the page one and it's emailed to me. So I'm always excited. Patrick O'Hare authors it for briefing.com. Another year, another dollar. Um, Best of times, worst of times. How are you doing, Mr. O'Hare? Hi, Rob. I'm doing fine. Thanks. Happy New Year to you and your listeners. It's uh, good to be back with you. Yes, yes, yes. Um, What do you make of this? We had a little bit of a Santa Claus rally, but it seems that the market's going through a shift and it seems like the appropriate time, start of the new year, look at things. Um, Is big tech giving way to um, boring old materials and commodities and energy, um, financials, is that the shift that we're expected for this year, more value than growth? Well, I think uh, we have to be a little bit patient here. Uh, okay. We've had just a couple of days of trading, and I think that the trends you, you rightfully have uh, observed are kind of uh, consistent with conventional wisdom in a way. Um, you know, it was well known coming into the year that uh, growth has significantly outperformed value, or you could turn that around and say value has significantly underperformed growth for an extended period of time. Uh, and therefore, you know, at the early part of a year, when you, know, when you see rebalancing activity and new money searching for a home, um, it, it makes sense that you would see sort of the, um, the emphasis on value right now. And, uh, and we're seeing in turn in the treasury market, it makes sense that you would see you know, treasury yields backing up. Uh, it was kind of a mystery as to why they never did back up 
uh, in the latter half of last year anyway, when it was becoming apparent that inflation pressures were becoming uh, not only high but persistent. Um, so uh, it makes sense to see the reaction that we're seeing there uh, in the early part of 2022 that you have longer data yields backing up because inflation is high and the deficit is high. Um, and the Fed is telling everyone that they're going to be you know, scaling back the, uh, the pace of purchases and now uh, might even uh, suggest in the minutes that we get out for the December meeting later today uh, that they're perhaps perhaps contemplating, you know, how to kind of pare down that balance sheet, which is, uh, you know, close to $9 trillion. So I think a lot of what we're seeing right now is, is, is pretty much textbook action, but uh, it's a long year ahead and a lot can change. Uh, but the uh, the early uh, condition of things is that the stock market anyway seems pretty secure in the economic growth outlook and seems pretty uh, comfortable with a rotation into value at the expense of some of those high-flying growth stocks, which should see some multiple compression as interest rates rise in 2022. Lots to digest in that. A lot to digest in that. In the end, I, I think you and I probably could agree that Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has an unenviable task of trying to make everyone happy um, with rising interest rates. Stock market may not be happy um, unless you're in the right place at the right time. Um, any thoughts on how many, uh, how, how active the Fed's going to be this year? Because do you, do you say they have to unwind $9 trillion on their balance sheet? That seems like they're going to have a heck of a year. <laughs> well, they, they don't have to unwind all nine trillion, and they won't. Uh, it's just about you know um, uh, pairing that back, uh, and it's not going to be you know some you know uber aggressive uh, scale back because the uh, Fed doesn't want the capital markets to you know freak out so to speak uh, by withdrawing a lot of liquidity uh, before it's time, and so. Uh, the Fed Funds futures market right now is pricing in the, the, the you know, pretty high likelihood that you'll get at least three rate hikes in 2022. Uh, and we're seeing a growing expectation that the first rate hike is potentially going to come in March. Um, it wasn't that long ago where uh, it was thought to be May and then even a little bit longer before that, it was thought to be June. So you can see that you know, the market has adjusted accordingly to, you know, to the inflation worries as well as the, you know, Fed chair's own uh, uh, observation, really, that, uh, it, you know, it's time to uh, to pivot this policy from an ultra easy policy and and also expressing his concerns that the Omicron variant, you know, could potentially be more inflationary than anything else as it, you know, interferes with uh, supply chains because of staffing shortages. Now, that view looks to be somewhat prescient here based on a lot of anecdotal evidence that talks about uh, staffing shortages, uh, uh, you know, being seen and felt that are disrupting the you know, normal course of operations. And so, uh, so we have a Fed whose, whose commentary is, is more geared toward getting inflation under control now that versus the early part of 2021 when it was basically uh, kind of, you know, uh, inviting, you know, high inflation uh, and, and feeling just fine with it because it had been running below uh, the, the target for so long. But uh, so the Fed uh, is in our mind, you know, behind the curve here, uh, we think it's waited too long even to, to scale back its uh, asset purchases and to, to raise interest rates. But uh, the market 
Uh, like anything else, though, with kind of, you know, what we've talked about with respect to interest rates, it's not so much the level right now, it's the speed at which we get to whatever level we're going to. Um, because I think that uh, the market recognizes interest rates really should be higher than where they are right now. Um, and it knows that the Fed is, is likely going to be uh, more uh, assertive this year as it relates to getting inflation under control than it was assertive last year and trying to jumpstart growth and promoting maximum employment and inviting higher inflation. And that uh, that assertiveness will come in the form of raising the Fed funds rate. And, uh, and uh, the, the key for the equity market really is going to be uh, how aggressive the Fed is. I don't really know the answer to that, Rob. I just know that what the Fed funds futures market is saying right now, and of course, like anything else, as time goes on, uh, expectations will adjust based on incoming data and, uh, and, and a you know, host of factors. Can you kill a myth for me? The myth that I'm going to throw down is that there's a myth or there's a rumor, or there's an idea or a thesis that as the Fed raises interest rates, that the hedge fund managers have a playbook and basically it's sell st- uh, tech stocks, high valuation, buy value stocks, low valuation. Could they be wrong <laughs> or could that just be one that I just need to ignore because it, are hedge funds still in control like they were for a few years? Like, I don't know where I'm going out with this question, but it seems like that's the playbook. Yeah, um, you know, it's it, it, uh, it's another tough tough question to answer. I mean, what we saw last uh-huh. year is that certainly that the, the retail crowd, you know, had its way with kind of um, you know making its presence felt uh, in a way that upset a lot of hedge funds. Uh, you know, not emotionally, but in terms of you know uh, performance, really. Um, you know. A lot of stocks defied expectations, um, but uh, you know I think just you know fundamentally speaking, as rates go up, um, you know you should see some multiple compressions. So, kind of what we wrote in our um, our year ahead piece in the big picture in late December was just you know highlighting the idea that if if someone has you know had the benefit of owning one of these high multiple growth stocks that has done you know that did quite well and and is trading a very high valuation without any earnings that, you know, those are the names that are likely to find the sledding more challenging in 2022 because the the narrative is changing and it, it involves now an expectation that interest rates will be going up. The question is, you know, how much and how fast, but there's been so much good news uh, pulled forward and so many bullish expectations pulled forward in those names uh, in 2021, that uh, it, the bar of expectations is just way too high. Now, a lot of them have already been shellacked, um, but still, you know, when you're not making any money and you're in a rising interest rate environment, you know, it becomes a lot more challenging to uh, see, you know, outperformance. And so I think that that is one of the dynamics that's contributing to the rotation away from growth and into value, and understandably so here. We have less than two minutes. I'll let you talk about anything that you want to talk about and or promote. Go. Sure. Uh, you know, we are looking at, um, you know, well, we've been focused on the Fed, obviously, for, for, for a while. Um, uh, and I think that that's where our focus is going to continue to be because the Fed is going to have so much sway in terms of how this market performs uh, this year. Uh, knowing that, of course, uh, the the idea of a relentless Fed put was one of the things that, you know, always kept the 
market buying on weakness and, you know, staring through all of the worst case scenarios with a steely resolve. And I think as the market becomes more attentive to the understanding that the, you know, that Fed put is not going to be as resolute, uh, that you're going to see more volatility this year. And so we'll be paying you know, close attention to all of what the Fed says, but uh, we'll also be watching uh, in more current terms what happens with the employment data on Friday and kind of what that's suggesting. Because the one thing that sort of the Fed uh, is still waiting to see more of, if you will, is wage-based inflation pressures. And so we uh, will be watching the average hourly earnings number there uh, because if that keeps pushing up, uh, you could see more concern about inflation pressures uh, lasting longer and inflation remaining higher than some people think it will as 2022 progresses. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. I'm looking at the site right now. He starts the year with a bang, a little bit heavy on interest rates in the Federal Reserve, but I think that's the dominant theme. So I think we're barking up the right tree. Value stocks continue to outperform at the expense of growth stocks. December ADP employment change report was stronger than expected. The treasury markets trade mixed strength today in energy materials and healthcare. A lot going on, right? Taking a look at the markets. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Dow's slightly up, the NASDAQ and the SP 500 slightly down. You can find me online at Roblox Show. The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up for the year. The S&P 500 barely is. The Russell and the NASDAQ are underperforming and are lower for the year at the very early stages of the first week of the year. Um, A record 4.5 million Americans quit their jobs in November. The unprecedented level of departures, including one million in leisure and hospitality alone, illustrates how tough it is to retain talent right now. I still need to do more work before I turn this into a story. But let me just throw that down there again. A record 4.5 million people quit in November. Um, I've always looked at that as, I don't want to say dubious. I look at it as curious, like why now? Why at the end of the year? Um, I don't have a great pulse on it. All I can tell you is that it appears to be people want higher wages because one of the lowest area of wages is in hospitality and service. Um, just throwing that out there for you. U.S. home buyers hoping for relief from skyrocketing prices aren't likely to get any in 2022. Growth in home values will exceed 14% nationally. So says Zillow. Zillow has a lot of data. Uh, Tampa is a very hot market right now. Jacksonville, Raleigh, they're expected to be some of the the biggest winners. Uh, As the mid-sized markets stretch out, having had a nice radiant effect close to California, as California sold their expensive homes, they went to Phoenix, they went to Colorado, They went to Seattle. They went to Portland. Um, Texas looks a little overbuilt because there's not a lot of regulations in Texas, but some of the smaller markets like Raleigh do tend to make sense right now. And Raleigh is a really big market. Raleigh is a market that I own a home in um, as a rental in large part because there's three universities there. Earlier in the show, I said, you know, here's a hint for you. Um, 
I want to own a home in good school district because moms always like good school districts for their kids. I want to own a home on the cutest Christmas tree lane because moms always like to see the Christmas decorations come up for the kids. I know that's very stereotypical of me, but it's what I have for you at this point in the show. Bank of America upgraded Pfizer to buy from neutral and raised their price target to $7 from $59. They expect a dramatic rollout of Paxlovid, which is oral COVID-19 therapy. Significant investments in the pipeline through BD. Since 2020, investors have focused squarely on Pfizer's success in battling COVID-19, namely through vaccines. Now they get oral agents. I guess we should be pretty excited on that. Um, I could make a case for all of us doing a little bit more homework and potentially adding Pfizer as a dividend player to our portfolios. Um, Lily seems to be the most diversified and the one hitting on all the right sectors right now. KFC is launching Beyond Meat's meatless chicken on its menu starting on Monday. Uh, This is kind of a story, kind of not a story, right? Beyond Meat has learned that it's, it's really, really tough to get the demand right, whether it's for restaurants or for consumers. The restaurants are great because you get the Colonel, KFC, doing commercials about, you know, hey, you want to eat chicken without eating chicken? We got plant-based chicken. Come on in, uh, plant-based chicken. So there's a trend. KFC first tested Beyond Meat plant-based chicken in August 2019 with a limited run and test in Atlanta, which sold out in five hours. So KFC is pretty bullish on the idea. They don't think that plant-based is a fad. We think it's something that's going to continue to grow over time. And what is, to me, fascinating to talk about, Beyond Meat and KFC are talking how they're trying to recreate or replicate the tenderloin of a chicken, where you actually have muscle fibers. Texture is a little bit more pleasing than what they call chewed and glued. (laughs) And I think we all know what we're talking about here right now. We want it to look like chicken, not like chicken nuggets from McDonald's. I'm willing to eat plant-based food, but I want it to look kind of like what it's replacing. So for instance, I did the Beyond Meat hamburger probably about two years ago. Cooked it up and put it in a red spaghetti sauce. Kids couldn't tell the difference because it kind of looked the same. And the sauce had garlic in it. And, you know, the the plant-based product took on the flavor of the sauce and the garlic. But fast food giants have hopped on the plant-based trend in recent years with Beyond Meat serving as the go-to partner for enormous, uh, enormous amount of retailers. KFC and Beyond Meat, McDonald's and Beyond Meat, Taco Bell, Costco, Subway, TGI Fridays, Dunkin' Donuts, Pizza Hut, and more. The McPlant Burger could hit nationwide Golden Archer stores this year. It's been viewed as one of the most anticipated plant-based rollouts. It could help lift not only Beyond Meat's bottom line, but plant-based meat makers overall. McDonald's is kind of the go-to in volume, volume, volume. The Mac Plant Burger um, is just a weird thing to say out loud. But just to show you that it's it's not just the fast food companies. Disney's going to sell a meatless item from Impossible Burgers at high lo- traffic locations, including Disneyland, Disney World, Disney Cruise Lines. Starbucks announced it's going to offer an impossible sausage breakfast sandwich. 
Burger King unveiled an impossible Whopper. Um, the millennials are the people who are more likely to try it. But as I see commercials that are geared towards millennials, I'm more likely to buy in too. Younger people tend to be the ones that want to eat more plant-based product. And I'll be honest with you, um, I think chicken McNuggets from are pretty gross. All chicken nuggets are pretty gross. And they all kind of taste the same with ketchup or with barbecue sauce or honey mustard or what have you. As long as it's got that muscly, fibery, sinew in it kind of thing, you kind of like, yeah, this works for me. But are you willing to bet on Beyond Meat after you've already seen a big rise and a huge fall? It's like betting on Peloton. Are you going to do that one again? Or are you out on that one? You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I work with EP Wealth. If you need a referral to advisor, financial planner, let me know. We can help you review your portfolio. Find me at robblackshow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.